The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. Would you remain standing? Don't sit down. Would you remain standing and turn in your copies of God's Word to Second Samuel for the reading of God's Word this evening. I cannot, Bruce, you cannot be more excited than I am to be here tonight. I just, I... I love Lord's Day evening worship, and to be here and anticipate the coming Sunday nights is just exciting for me. So, praise the Lord, and I want to thank all of the worship team. Uh, just your extraordinary commitment in light of John's battle that he has right now, but how you have all stepped up to serve the Lord, and uh, praise the Lord for that. Would you look with me in chapter Second Samuel chapter 23 and down to verse 8? <clears throat> These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Jacob, Bathsheboth, Atacamendonite, he was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men were Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahoahai. And he was with David when they defied the Philistines and were gathered there for battle. The men of Israel withdrew. But he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great victory, and three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, where a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Raphaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. But David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem. That was by the gate and carried that by the Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David, but he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord. That I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. The grass withers, the flower fades. God's word abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may this his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Well, just a couple of thoughts so that we can have the charges from our ruling elders and then the ordination. But I did want to set this around the whole theme of leadership tonight and wanted to just outline a couple of things for us. One of the great, well, let me just do, let me start this way. Let me make a little adjustment here. There is no doubt that whenever our Lord 
decides to do something, the scriptures are clear and church history is clear. He always raises up leaders. Whenever there is an opportunity that he is going to open up or whenever there is a challenge that's coming to God's people. Whenever there's a challenge that comes to God's people or whenever there is an opportunity that God is about to expose to God's people, he always raises up leaders. That's what he does. He works through leaders. That's one of the great challenges. We know the value of leadership. That's why it's so easy for us to go beyond what we ought to do, which is encourage leaders, honor leaders, respect our leaders. And sometimes we go to the point of Depending on the leader instead of the Lord that play, that put the leader there. Now, the answer is not to discount leadership, because if leadership is discounted, why in the world does God keep raising up leaders to meet challenges and adversity? That's what God does, and that's how God works. So we do want to honor and respect and encourage. Moments like this service are very important in the life of God's people. This ordination and installation of formal leadership in the church. Because I believe we face adversity in the coming year. Adversity in a culture, adversity in the winnowing of the church, adversity perhaps to some degree within our very own denomination. And what we desperately need are leaders. I believe we're going to face extraordinary opportunities as well. I'm not, I'm not a, a, the sky is falling. I think whenever moments like that comes, also comes great opportunities for the kingdom of God to make advances. Nobody think that, nobody thinks that it will, will do or can do. In fact, sometimes at moments like this, our crutches that we go to, sometimes we'll take God's blessings that we enjoy within a society, within a nation, within a culture. And we've actually, unbeknownst to ourselves, become to depend on those things more than the Lord. Therefore, when that crutch is kicked out, that sends us back to the Lord in a fresh way that we've never been there before. But we need leaders at that moment. Leaders who point that way. Leaders who model that way. Leaders who mentor. Leaders who disciple. Now, one of the great blessings we enjoy at Briarwood, for which I am everlastingly grateful, is the predomination of some wonderful male and female leaders. We have men and women who lead wonderfully, who lead well, all over what we might call informal leadership. Tonight we are here for the sacred covenant and oaths within the covenant community of formal leadership. Those offices that the Lord has ordained, the minister of the word, our teaching elders, and then tonight in specific, the ruling or shepherding elders of the church and the deacons of the church who complement the work of the ruling elders so that they can focus on what they need to as deacons uphold the administration, the mercy, and the stewardship of a congregation. And so we are here for formal leadership, but I don't want to walk into this and discount or forget the value of all of those people that are leading small group Bible studies, that are leading uh, accountability groups, that are leading specific uh, uh, counseling groups, people that are leading congregational communities, people that are uh, serving as small-s shepherds in congregational communities, 
so that we can properly care for the Lord's people. All of that informal leadership is crucial. But let me say this. Informal leadership, as important as it is, and as grateful as we are, and the Lord did that, didn't he? He had the three, he had the twelve, and he had the seventy. So when someone faltered in the twelve, just reach to the seventy and get that wonderful guy named Matthias and bring him up. You see, that's what you can do at moments like that. So there are moments like this where that informal leadership available is so important and it's important in the daily life of a congregation. But you can't have the informal without the formal. It is the formal that lays the framework. It is the formal that sets the pace. It is the formal that takes the responsibility by oath before the Lord. It's the formal that steps up to that passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine, or dare I say, what I think the original actually says. It is a noble thing that he does. It is a noble work, not the aspiring, but what he's aspiring to is a noble work. I have said this before, and if, if it's a repetition, uh, hopefully I'm not, uh, hopefully I wouldn't bore you with it. But I, I remember one time when I was in Charlotte that I had someone come to me, set up a meeting I didn't know about, and they asked me would I consider um, running for a particular office that would have been a national office. And there's a lot of reasons I said no that day, but I can tell you the one reason why no came out immediately. And then they came back to me, uh, three wonderfully persuasive people said, well, listen, you're a Christian and you're a pastor, you at least need to pray about this. And I said, no, I'm not going to pray about it. They said, why aren't you going to pray about it? And I said, well, uh, I don't, number one, I don't think the Lord can do it. Number two, no, the Lord's going to do that for me. I don't think he wants me to do that. But number two, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And number three, I don't want to do that. That would be a demotion for me. I cannot think of any more important calling of leadership than the church of Christ. I don't think there's anything. It's the one institution bought with the blood of Jesus. It is the one institution that's headed to eternity. And we have been given the privilege to take the bride of Christ, the army of the Lord, the family of God, the body of Christ, and lead her. And when we do it well, we make room for all of that informal leadership to burgeon up. When we do it well, we set a pace for family leadership, marital leadership. And when we do it well, God gets all the glory because there's no way we can do it well without him. Absolutely no way. I love this text, and I'm just going to make a brief remark to it. I love this text. Because it, again, affirms the importance of leadership. In fact, leadership is so important. Leadership is so important that not only every time God is going to bring his people to face a challenge or an adversity, or every time he's going to create an opportunity, he raises up leaders like Moses and like David and, and like uh, Samuel and like Elijah and like Elisha. But something else he does. The leaders he raise up intentionally mature, multiply, and mobilize 
more leaders that will be there when they go. When David leaves the scene, he doesn't leave a vacuum. He's got 30 mighty men. He's got three chief men of the 30 mighty men that are ready to step in when he's not there. When Elijah goes, he doesn't leave a vacuum. He's already put others through the school of the prophets. And he even has spent time in one in particular, Elisha. When Paul, who I shared with you today sometime between 65 and 67 A.D. in Rome, was taken to glory. He didn't leave a vacuum. There's Luke. There's Silas. There's leading women. There's Aquila. There's Priscilla. There's Timothy. He doesn't leave a vacuum. When Moses gives up his life looking out over the promised land, there's Joshua. There's Caleb. There's all the elders that have been developed for the tribes. No vacuum. That's what that called formal leadership does. It's always maturing, multiplying, and mobilizing other leaders because everyone knows how important leadership is. And what kind of leadership is it that we need? Well, I wrote a book on it and um, actually under contract to write another book if I can get the time to do it. But there's just one thing I would like to say that's going to be in that book, and that's this. I believe leadership is ultimately an act of worship. And I love this particular text. Here you meet the account of the 30 mighty men of David. Here you meet the account of the leadership of those 30 mighty men, the three. Kind of reminds me of, you know, I remember what I said, Jesus had the 70 and the 12, but then there was Peter, James, and John. There's the three that he would use. And here are the three that David would use. And when you give, they give an account, they introduce you to them, and they give an, they give an illustration of these men in their lives. Did you notice something about all, all three of the illustrations? All three of the illustrations, the enemy came, and even mighty men were retreating. But not these three. They stayed in the fight. They stayed in the fight. One of them fought so hard that they couldn't even pry his hands loose from the sword. The other would stand his ground, even though everyone else had left. The other would not turn his back and flee, but would give his all. It is those men that you're introduced to there who then... Take a moment and make sure they go to visit David, who right now with the Philistines rampaging all over what was called the land of Judah, where the tribe of Judah would have been and the tribe of Benjamin. As they're rampaging all over it, they even have control of the city of David, his hometown, Bethlehem. It's now become a Philistine stronghold. And as David thinks about it, he he just... Utter something. I believe it was very much like the reminiscences you would have when you go back to where you were raised. 
Oh, I would love to go back to that park. <laughs> oh, I would love to play baseball at that field again. Oh, I would love to. And if you just mention something that he remembers from his childhood, this shepherd boy. Can you imagine coming in out of the Valley of Raphaim, coming in from shepherding all night long, Coming in, you've got your older brothers that are going to give you a hard time, but you are tired. Can you imagine how many times that well that had such sweet water at the very gates of Bethlehem refreshed him? And so here he is, isolated. Here he is withdrawn in the cave of Adullam. And as the mighty men come, he just remarks, Oh, to have a drink. From the well in the gates of Bethlehem. Little does he know. They hear. They meet. And they go. They break into the lines of the Philistines. Now don't get. Don't don't run by that. What is the most defended place. In a city. A walled city. The gates. Because that's the weakest place. So they go right where that well is. Which is where? At the gates. And when they get to the well where the gates is, that's where most of the Philistines' armed guard would be. And we're not told how. We're not told whether it was by stealth or whether it was by an on-out onslaught. But here's what they did. They got a drink of that water from that well. And somehow were able to transport it all the way back to where Dave, David was. As, and my mother would be surprised if I would have been there because they, I don't think they spilled a drop. And can you imagine that moment when they brought it to this man whom they love, whom they're supporting in the midst of a moment that seemingly everything is going to overwhelm them? Will the Philistines have the victory or will we? Well, David leads by the confidence that he has in the Lord. And even though he now finds himself in a cave, he has not given up. He's still in the fight. These men are men like him and with him that are in the fight. And they take on a fight that wasn't even strategic. Just out of love to David, they go and they get that drink of water. And they bring it to him. And I remember the first time I read this. I was actually uh, reading through the scriptures in my first ministry uh, in Miami when I first read this. And, it, and, and, it, and I'm trying to imagine this moment. That Can you imagine how they felt sanctified pride at this moment? You remember what you mentioned? Here it is. Here's your drink, David. And he looks at it. And what's obvious, he's overcome with emotion. He not only can't drink it, he won't drink it. And right in front of them, he pours it out. Now, when you immediately see that, man, how insensitive can you be, David? You ought to be drinking it. Mm, isn't that good? But that's what he can't do. That's what he won't do. He pours it out. Because he knows every one of them could have and probably should have lost their life. He saw it as their very lifeblood. And he saw it out of their devotion, not to him, but to the Lord who had called him. So when they poured it out, they didn't waste it any more, any more than hundreds of years later. A woman 
seven miles from here, will open up and pour out an unbelievably expensive bottle of oil to anoint Jesus. He's not wasting it. And the clue is in that last phrase. He poured it out, not on the ground, before the Lord. He saw this leadership as something sacred, as something glorious. He saw this leadership with all of its marks. I see this leadership marked by three things. Courage in the day of challenge. Conviction. And I also see it not only with courage, not only with conviction, but commitment. How many times was they said to themselves, are we doing the right thing? But they were committed. They saw this thing through. And then they had the courage to go to the gates of Bethlehem, a stronghold of the Philistines, and get the water. They had courage, they had conviction, and they had commitment. Those three marks of that kind of leadership, what he sees is he sees that as worship. Elders and deacons, I thank the Lord for you. I thank those who walked you through the process. I thank those who nominated you, those um, um, spouses that as you prayed together and you came to this point and you have now sought an office. I do not know what this coming year holds. I do know it will hold challenges. I do know. I don't know what they are. If you would told me what the challenges were going to be this last year, I would have. Are you crazy? I would have never thought of it. But I'll tell you one thing. As I get to the end of this year, and I don't know what's coming next year, I cannot tell you how many times that I have thanked God for the elders and deacons I have had the privilege to serve with and under here. Who have attempted to meet it with their eyes fixed upon Jesus. To make decisions not framed by the world's politics and not framed by the fears of men. Nor framed by the insensitivities of others, but have attempted to lead us in a way that would honor the Lord, that manifest a people who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind, and who want to love their neighbor as themselves. I'm grateful for it. I don't know what we face this year, but I know we're going to face it. I don't know what we're going to face with challenges, and I don't know what we're going to face with opportunities. I'm, I am one of these um, Glasses half full, guys. I'm not, I do not close my eyes in denial to the realities of challenge, but I do anticipate the majestic opportunities that may be there for the advancement of the kingdom this year. But we will not be able to migrate, to make this journey, and lead God's people without leaders who have courage from the Lord. Who have a commitment out of their love to the Lord. And who have conviction that there is no greater task and privilege than to lead the church of Jesus Christ to extend the kingdom of our Lord throughout the world. Here are these men who come back, who make this glorious statement, and you can just see. How much this affected David. 
He knew this represented an unbelievable love. Elders, deacons, pastoral staff that's here, and then all the informal leadership that you will enable. This is what I would say to you. Our love is to one greater than David. Praise God for David. But David is only the type of our great leader. The Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. There's where our love is focused. And there is no stronghold we will not invade. There is no battle that we will run from. Courage, conviction, and commitment. You can be assured that there will always be the naysayers on the outside and the inside. And if you lead for the applause of men, you'll always fail in leadership. But if you lead for the Lord, then we just pour that leadership out before the Lord. That kind of leadership is worship and praise his name forever. We will not do it perfectly, but we can do it intentionally. And we can do it empowered by his spirit. And we can do it guided by his word. And we can do it because of his grace. We can do it because of him. Without him, I can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Last year's leadership, this time, this moment, I pour it out before the Lord to give him praise. This year's leadership, I can't wait to see the praise that accrues to God because you lead us with faithfulness, a God-given courage, conviction, and commitment. Praise his name forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to serve you as those whom you've called, unworthy as we are, to lead your people. God, please allow us, as I said earlier, I can't say it enough for my own heart to hear it. God, help us lead your people into the world, but not like the world. Help us not to be defined by worldly wisdom, leadership, or its boastful arrogance. Please allow us to lead with humility yet courage, with thoughtfulness, yet boldly, with conviction and with compassion. And may the leadership of your people be a statement of praise to your name through those whom you've called and those whom you set aside even now to that leadership. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. 
Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.